I I was the youngest person once in the 80s. We all were the youngest person for a brief second. Back when you had to submit your punch cards for uh, for compiling on the mainframe. <laughs> I mean, not while I was at a job, but I mean. In... Hello, welcome to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golke. And we're joined today by a very special guest, a graduate of the old Iron Yard program, Mr. Shane Nelson. Hi, Shane. How's it going, guys? What you been doing since uh, since you left the Iron Yard? Um, lots of coding, lots and lots of it. Continued learning, keeping up the uh, momentum that I really kind of gained from the Iron Yard, and just making steps forward. Since. Nice. Give us a sense. Of when did you graduate? So I graduated in 2017. I joined the spring 2017 iOS course that was in Orlando, and it was actually taught by Ben. And um, yeah, and so uh, that was really just kind of like the beginning for where I started my software development career. 2017, is it a year and a half ago? Because it's already March of 2019. I realized yeah. again this morning. I I feel like I was you were just in my class like yesterday. Yeah, so it's very strange that it's been that much time. Oh, it's so weird. You know, I have this vivid memory of a friend of mine saying, "I can't believe it's March already," and that was in 1996. <laughs> so i'm surprised well i don't know if shane's we, parents had met yet in 1996 uh, as we know brian is quite old I so <laughs> and then what shane what happened after graduation graduation would be in june i guess of 2017 and take us let's have just the the quick resume tour where do you go from there Gotcha. Alrighty. So after graduating, I got my first job about two months out of the Iron Yard for a consulting company. I worked with them for about five months before I ultimately quit that position. Um, I really just wasn't a good matchup for me. And I kind of made the mistake of taking the first thing that came to me mm. in my eagerness of wanting to be a developer. And that kind of backfired on me. So I, uh, I left that position, spent about a month job hunting before I got another job for a company called Ahold Delhaze. Ahold is the parent company for a bunch of grocery stores like Giant, Peapod, Foodline, Hannaford & Sons, Stop & Shop, and a bunch of others. Uh, I very much enjoyed working for Ahold. I was part of an innovation team that got to work on new projects almost every month, which kept things new and exciting, which is a lot of developers complain about, kind of like that stale, you know, like doing the same thing. And so that was really cool to kind of be able to build something new each time up and do it better each time. Um, I was transitioned from an iOS developer to a web developer shortly after starting with the company, even though I had little to no web development experience. So I had to ramp up pretty quickly in order to provide value for the company. It was doing pretty well with that until um, I kind of bit off more than I could chew. I started a second boot camp on the, t on the side after graduating the Iron Yard. <laughs> sure. And uh, yeah, I figured why not. I really wanted to become a, uh, or still do want to become a full stack mobile developer. And so Google actually sponsored me for a boot camp with Udacity called the Grow with Google Challenge. And uh, that was a three-month immersive course that they taught in Java. And so while I was trying to learn JavaScript, I was also trying to learn Java. And it's very true that Java... They're the Java same thing, right? Yeah. I, I, that's what I heard. Java and JavaScript have as much in common as car and carpet. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, that's uh, true. So, yeah, um, that did not go well because I was also trying to maintain the iOS knowledge that I had from the Iron Yard. I was, um, I really enjoy iOS development, and so I kind of wanted to hold on to that. 
And so I was trying to kind of do those three things at once and ultimately just ended up burning myself out pretty hard. And it was at that point that I just kind of realized that I wanted to transition into kind of a more of an iOS role and just kind of um, be consistent with something for a little while and kind of absorb all the stuff. Because the problem with what I was doing is I spent about a year bouncing around different technologies and never got to fully absor- uh, absorb one. So I kind of felt like a kind of felt like a jack of all trades, master of none in a sort to where I knew about all these different languages, but I really wasn't kind of a expert at one of them. Um, Still, I'm not an expert in any of them. They take a lot of time to kind of mature and grow in. And so I kind of started looking on the side for another position to get back into the role of an iOS developer. And really, fortunately for me, I um, did a lot of networking talks and presenting at meetups and stuff like that. And so I was really, yeah, um, so I was really able to um, quickly find a position. I ended up meeting someone on Slack through some kind of mutual connections and everything. And then he, he was asked, he was actually hiring a bunch of iOS developers. And so ended up submitting a resume and got that job and I've been loving it ever since. Uh, the company that I work for now is that company. It's actually, it's Passport. They're a company that creates both mobile and web applications for handling parking, permits, enforcement, transit tolling apps, and much more. We do things like curbside parking. So instead of like paying at a meter made, you can pay through the app. We're, oh, in yeah. city, we're in cities everywhere, uh, America. You might Mexico. be in Orlando. Um, I think we may be. I was in Orlando this past weekend, and I think I saw one of our um, one of our parking lots. Not sure, though. Um, but, yeah, and so they're everywhere, America, Mexico, Canada, Europe. It's really an amazing company. And it's one of the reasons why I'm really excited for today's topic is because I'm trying to move up kind of the ladder in the office place. And so I'm trying to go from that... Um, kind of that more junior to that mid-level role. And so I'm really interested to kind of get some uh, feedback from you guys on how you guys did that and how I can make that happen myself. All right. That sounds really good. So you, you've been at your current location for under a year, it sounds like. Yep. Eight months. Eight months. Okay. Okay. And is this the first uh, pure iOS role? So the first job that I got out of the boot camp was a iOS developer role, and that was actually for a consulting firm. And it was mainly, I was mainly doing Objective-C to Swift conversions while just kind of like busying myself waiting for a consulting contract. Uh, That never ended up coming around. I ended up leaving before getting one of those. And so, so I didn't do too much iOS development. And then at Ahold, I was doing primarily web. I did very little iOS. And so the only thing iOS that I really kind of continued after that was just what I learned on my own and just trying to maintain that momentum from the boot camp Iron Yard. And so now that I'm out and everything, this is, yes, my first pure iOS developer role that I've been doing um, straight for the past eight months. Yeah, I feel like that's very common for, especially for junior devs who are, maybe they get some training on their own or they get some training from a boot camp or something. Like you said, you were very eager to get out into the world and get that job as a developer. And so you tended to like, oh, you're going to hire me? Okay, cool. I'll take it. Right. You just you just accept whatever they whatever comes along. Um, and every, of course, everybody, this is not official advice. Everybody's situation is different. But and you should do what's best for you. Um, but I think a couple of things. Uh, you you know it's going to be a long journey for you to to become a developer, and I I mean you Shane in particular, and I also mean generally anybody else who's listening, right? Um, and so 
it isn't the kind of thing where you have to be committed to that first job forever. So even if it is not perfect, maybe it's a good place for you to learn for a bit and then you can move on. Um, and then the second thing is that maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't a great fit for you and, and, and that's okay. That's, that's, a, that's allowed. You can, you're not going to jive with every, with every job you encounter. And in particular for consulting work, that's a very specific kind of work. Um, and it, it tend, what I've noticed is it tends to be not usually a wonderful fit for juniors because consulting companies tend to be, you know, little so like fast, islands, right? They move really fast. They're little islands of one, right? It's like, okay, you do this and you do this and you do that. Everybody kind of has their own job. There's not a lot of overlap. There's not a lot of um, mentorship opportunities for other more senior people to come and, and help you because it's all billable hours, right? So they don't want to spend time teaching you when they really could be off doing work that is getting billed out, you know, to, to support the company. So it tends to be a kind of place where you're just kind of doing things on your own. Um, and maybe that works for you and maybe it doesn't. And you have to, as a, per, as a person, as a developer, you have to decide if that's going to be an environment that works for you. But um, it tends to be, I think, the kind of place that juniors particularly can feel kind of lost because they don't, they, especially like in your case, Shane, right? You went from being in my classroom where I'm giving you lots of help all the time, like I did all my students, right? To suddenly, oh, now you're, you have nothing. There's just, there's just you and the computer and, and they've given you kind of an assignment and you're like, I don't know what to do here, right? I, 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 I you went from kind of full help to no help. Um, and that can be very jarring for people. Yeah. And it really was, it was, um, not what I expected at all for that first one. You know, I had ex like in my mind, I was coming out of the iron yard and I was expecting, okay, I'm going to have a senior and then I'm going to be able to ask questions and everything to there. And it was all remote at the time. And so that mm. made things even worse because there was just that communication gap and it just, it just wasn't, wasn't good all around. It wasn't a good uh, mashup. How, how do you think that could have been improved? I mean, if everybody knows that they're on a remote team, then I think there there could be steps that could be taken. Like, what do you wish they had done, given that it was a remote team, to make a better transition and onboarding experience for you as a first-time developer? They did not have daily stand-ups or anything like that. And so people just kind of did their own work, and then they came together when it was time for stuff to be merged or taken care of. And that just did oh. not work out. Mm. Um, yeah, I, would, I was honestly expecting it to be kind of like in that agile um, environment and that just yeah. was not the case. I really yeah. think that would have helped them out a lot. How did work get distributed then? Was there just a ticketing system and you log in and, and pick one up and work on it till you're done? So I worked directly with my senior and she would just send me work and everything just to kind of busy me. They hadn't ever had any official ticketing system. I would just help out other engineers that had contracts at the time just to um, pass time really before until I got my Mm. So it kind of sounds like you were like on deck, like they're like, okay, I'm ready, uh -huh. but I, you have nothing for me to do officially. So I'm going to kind of give you all this busy work in the meantime, which honestly is, in my opinion, sort of a more of a, um, a criticism of the company, right? Of like, they maybe didn't hire you at the right time, or they maybe thought the contract was coming in and then it didn't. And, you know, again, this is the sort of the, the volatility of the contracting world. The consulting world is that they don't always know either when stuff's going to happen and when it'll come in and you just have to kind of roll with it and that just tends to be an environment that you know you can thrive in that environment but it just whether you're a junior or not right it can just be like a personality thing where you're like i'm just this is just not working for me as a personality conflict right i, I want to have a solid project to work on and maybe there there aren't any 
Yeah, I think it really was mainly a personality conflict that we just didn't align, and so I just thought it best to leave. That's why I ultimately did that before I didn't even have anything lined up. I was just kind of like, okay, I just just didn't like the, where I was at. And so I uh, left that, and then I was fortunate enough to get that other job pretty quickly afterwards and been having fun ever since as a developer. I think I can... I can understand the impetus on the employer's part for hiring before there's a real need because you might think, oh, this is going to be a new person. We Everybody knows it takes people a little while to get used to a company, a new code base. If you're a new developer, it takes a while to get used to everything. And so saying, let's bring this person on when there's not like critical stuff has to be deployed immediately right now, now, now and give them stuff that's not high priority and um have more time to acclimate. Uh, I can also see where for certain personality types, it's kind of a drag to think this feels like busy work and it's not stuff that benefits anybody. And so I'd rather just go somewhere else and do something else. But I, I see both sides. And I think the other thing that I noticed about you, like the pattern of what you talked about with your job history, Shane, is that um, I can totally understand and see how you went from kind of the crazy fast pace that we did in school where we have 12 weeks total, nine weeks to teach you, three weeks free to do a final project. And like it's full time, right? 60, 80 hours a week for the student. You're just, I mean, you and everybody else in the class, right? We're just, we're just basically going crazy fast, trying to get leveled up and an and understanding of, of all these concepts. And then you get out in the job world and may, and then like your first job you get in and it's like, well, we had nothing for you to do. So here's some busy work, right? And you're like, well, I had this I had this awesome breakneck pace where I was making yeah. so much progress and then suddenly it just kind of crashes and there's not much there. And so I can even see why you would then say, okay, well, this isn't working out. This is not working for me. Let's see if I can find something better. And you did find something different. It turns out that it ended up being even more different than you thought because they ended up having to do web development. But but I can totally see that sort of the the desire to kind of keep some of that momentum going from your school period. Um and companies sometimes work quickly like that, and sometimes they don't. And it just, it, it, you know, for you and for everyone else listening, if you're in, if you're currently in a boot camp and you are thinking, for one thing, if you're thinking that's going to be this hard for the rest of your career, don't worry, it's not. <laughs> It'll be easier. Um, but also, it generally tends to slow down quite a bit after you finish your your training because we have to work at sort of the basically the speed of the slowest person on the team, right, more or less, um, and that tends to be. A lot slower than than the way that we were able to to advance in a in a boot camp setting. And one of the more important things that I found after graduating the boot camp is something that you had actually told me is don't lose that momentum, because uh, yeah. when I was doing kind of like that busy work or that bench work, there really wasn't a lot for me to do. And then when after I switched to the company Ahold, I started doing web development, and so it was kind of difficult to maintain that iOS development knowledge while doing the new one just being so green at the time I didn't have time to fully absorb all those fundamentals and it really it was it was a lot to take in yeah I think that's good advice like you know keep the momentum generally don't worry about not necessarily going at breakneck speed because again yeah bootcamp environment is is somewhat artificial right but if you feel like I think that the thing that is a good lesson from from what you've already talked about with your career is if you are at a place that you feel like you are not being challenged, you are not being utilized in the way that you want, you don't feel like you're advancing, you're just not making the progress you feel like you need to make, no matter whether you've just started your career or you've been doing it for 20 years, you should take it upon yourself to see if you can make that better by either 
getting a different position within that company or maybe leaving and finding another one. There's nothing wrong with with deciding that you've basically outgrown the position, right? You've or or, or you or it was just never a position that was really great for you in the yeah, first place. Yeah, just back out of a bad decision. That's fine too. You you both bring up a, a good point that I think there's a danger in introducing people to the field through the bootcamp environment that that 68 hours a week feels like well this is how it's supposed to be right and when we tell people keep up the momentum afterwards i think that can be internalized as you ought to be working 40 to 50 hours at your normal job which will leave you of course 10 to 30 hours of extra time to keep learning and enrolling in more boot camps and picking up more new tech on the side we, we probably should have done a better job of saying you don't need to put in this kind of time forever right and that was kind of one of the things that was really frustrating is because I kind of was like, okay, this is the beginning of my career. I was like, is it always going to be like this? Am I always going to have to be just kind of like just breaking my back, trying to like get all of this done, trying to absorb all this information, learn all these languages. And then it, it's not, it gets better for anyone else listening. It, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm about a year and a half in and it's kind of at the point now to where I can sense all the patterns in different languages and start to pick up things. Um, really, uh, a lot of reading material, helps as well um design patterns by the gang of four is one of my uh favorite ones that really helps with like conversations you know like when you're having a discussion with another developer or someone else who does a different language that's helped me a ton Uh, another thing that i've really enjoyed is uh, soft skills um, a software developer's life manual i think is the exact title of that 100 sure but that was another really good one just kind of telling you how to um just how to manage that lifestyle of kind of having that work-life balance, you know, how to move up in the office space and do a bunch of other things to where you're really just kind of having a social life as well because that can be a really common thing is developers just don't get out of the house just because they have yes. too, many, <laughs> too many side projects that are really interesting that they love doing and then they have their, their primary job. They maybe have a consulting job on the side and it's really easy to get caught up in all of that. Yes, I've heard of people doing that. <laughs> but no, no, no one you know no, right? not I mean, directly just, just friend general of, friend of a anecdotal friend. evidence right right right, right, right. They, i want to get into the technical weeds just for a second since you brought up uh, design patterns which i know was at least originally written for i thought i knew java i think um i'm not sure if it was java i know it's just a object-oriented approach to uh programming in general and do you feel like Pretty much everything you come across in there is applicable to Swift because there's there was a version of the book written for Ruby, which is also object oriented, but a very different object oriented language. And um, some of the patterns just sort of go away because they're they're just language features that uh, remove the need for them. Gotcha. So I use the book to kind of bounce around at the moment. Whenever I hear certain terms that I don't understand, I'll kind of look oh, them gotcha. up and yeah, yeah. use it as reference because there's a lot of like... There's a lot of design patterns and common things in there, such as like controllers and uh, coordinators and everything like that. And it's really one of those things that you hear on the job and it's like, well, what the heck is that? And so you want to be able to research it and figure out what that is. So the next time it comes around, you can chime in on that conversation or just understand what they're talking about. That's a smart way to go about it rather than trying to like, I'm going to consume this entire thing <laughs> as, yeah. as one thing, right? You kind of use it as more of a, um, a jargon killer right where you're like this is i just heard some jargon i don't know what that is let me go let me go let me go squash that for myself so that i know what it is next time that's a that's a great tip 
I, yeah, I do like the idea of uh, having something that you can turn to and that is kind of a, a Bible of object-oriented programming. I, I hope that you're also comfortable asking the more senior people. Um, it was probably a, a better idea to look it up first and then say, hey, I remember you used this term and I read about it over here. Are they using it the same way that you're using it to make sure there is a shared understanding of the, of the lingo? Of course, yeah. I always try to <clears throat> I always try to ask questions to stuff that I don't understand and that's like crucial as a junior. I always used to tell Ben all the time I was like, "Dude, I'm probably asking you too many questions. I'm sorry." Uh, just because I felt like I was asking too much just because it really helps and that's the only way you're going to learn is if you ask those questions. And I just for the record, I always said you can never ask too many questions. I tried though. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he important. he really he really did uh yeah, exercise that rule quite a bit. It's important to push them on that stuff. That's right. So you've, you've got about a year and a half of experience. You feel a little more comfortable now in your role. Um, and, you, and you said that this most recent role has allowed you to really focus on iOS. Um, w I guess maybe the first question that I would ask you about that is now that you've been doing, you know, you've been an iOS developer for eight months at least, right? A year and a half, but, but solely for, for at least eight months. Um, how does, just for everyone's sake, how does um, the daily experience of being an iOS developer, you know, for real, working on real projects, how does that differ from maybe what your expectations were of that role when you were in my classroom? Um, one of the huge things is structure. It is really, there's, there's a lot because you have, you have to coordinate with other uh, team members and such. And we had paired programming and stuff and uh, the classes, but nothing to the extent of to where okay everybody's going to come together everybody's going to have like a big merge party we're going to go through resolve conflicts together we're going to do uh, submit merge requests look through everybody's code and really just kind of give that feedback to build on each other hit each other's strengths and weaknesses and so that was something that um was different is having that ability to just kind of understand really um enough to where you can ask the harder questions and yeah. see the things that you don't get yet because in the beginning, it's really easy because you, you don't understand anything. And so it's like, what is all of this? You want to ask all of these questions. Yeah. But then once you kind of start absorbing more and more, you kind of get start gaining momentum. It's like, oh, I'm starting to recognize this or pick up on that. Then it's really easy from there to like understand where you need to go next kind of to get further in the language you're using. Right. And when you're and when you're a brand new novice, if I'm standing in front of you in the classroom and I'm telling you something, explaining something to you, you're like, all right, like you just you just sort of accept it. Right. Because mm -hmm. you're like, I don't know that right. Ben's saying it. I guess it's true. Right. Um, and then after you get some knowledge, then you then the thing that's kind of fun is that you get to listen to someone and you can, you know, understand what they're saying. And then and then it also kind of sparks these other things like, oh, well, what about this or what about that? Right. Or and, I've and, seen and, that and, done you, a slightly different way somewhere else. Right. You, you kind of start to be able to form your own opinion about these things and also uh, rather than just being a point of knowledge in ingestion, right, you're just sort of receiving knowledge from someone and like, okay, I, I, I acknowledge that you gave this, me this knowledge, right, and I'm moving on. Um, you get to kind of use it as a springboard to, to, to think about other solutions and, and go different, down different paths. Yeah, it's funny. I actually didn't get some of the stuff that you had tried to explain to me until further <laughs> on, uh, such as uh -huh. architecture. I did not, until uh, I submitted a coding challenge for Passport, the job that I have now, I really didn't think about it. I just always split the controller logic from the view logic and kind of split all that for the application. 
And it wasn't until that I actually submitted that coding challenge that they were actually like, wow, that's really cool that you took that extra step to know and do this. I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was like, what do you mean? Like to me, because <laughs> all of my projects, Ben was like, you got to split these up. You got to separate all your logic and everything. And I didn't understand why we did that. But now I'm like, cool, because it gave me a huge um, advantage on some of the other juniors who really just kind of throw everything in the viewed load. <laughs> <laughs> You said the um, the Passport people were hiring several iOS developers at about the same time? Uh, yeah, so they actually grew an incredible amount uh, recently. I think it was about 300% uh, last year. And so okay. we onboarded probably 100 new employees, most of which were engineers. And no. so, wow. Yeah, it, it's, been, it's been phenomenal. Um, just seeing the growth and everything is just really great and so they probably hired um probably a half dozen or so ios developers i was one of the uh first ones and so that was pretty interesting i got to turn around then and start interviewing others just because <laughs> uh because yeah. one of the things is they really value that uh, that culture like that um enjoying who you work with just because software is it's, it can be a stressful job and so when you if you like who you're working with and that just makes it even more bearable and so one of their things is they put people first and so they wanted to make sure that even if you don't understand or aren't there yet in your skills as a developer they'll still hire you if you if they can really vibe with you and if they see that you have that passion or that burning to learn and do more and that's so that was cool. that's one really cool thing about passport that i really really enjoy and what is the makeup of like junior, mid, senior, like on the iOS team? Is it kind of a mix or is it, uh, are you the only junior? It's a, I am not the only junior. So there's another junior to mid um, engineer that I work closely with. And then I have two seniors that I also work with. And it's, there's a lot of um, iOS developers at the company. And so there's always a mix up. You can always grab someone and be like, hey, like, what is this? Or and you, and you just slack a senior and get an answer right then. Oh, that's cool. Don't always just slack and try and try and research it first. But yeah, that's yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still remembering all the rules from the classroom. He was taught Good well. Time. Okay, so that... you got you have a team of four then, and including yourself, but a broader community within the company that you can reach out to for pretty much anything if you don't get a, a quick response. That's great. Yeah, so I'm on just one team that handles the, um, our tolling application and then also some of our legacy stuff. And then we have our parking application and then we have uh, another team that does, handles like um, support and bug reports and everything like that. And so there's quite a few teams that all have iOS, Android developers that you can bounce around. It's really cool because wanting to become a full stack mobile developer, this is kind of like those first steps to where, okay, you have such a... Um, vast amount of people that you can lean on and and leverage to help you kind of go forward and it's been it's been really great i've noticed a huge accelerated in my acceleration in my personal growth for development and my career that's an interesting term full stack mobile developer i don't think i've heard that combination of of tech buzzwords before what exactly what would go into that well, so at the Iron Yard, we did some backend APIs using Swift in the Perfectly framework. And so, so kind of when I say like full stack mobile developer, I'm picturing, picturing someone who would do both iOS and Android, as well as can write the backend for those. Wow. That's a lot. So watch out, Brian. He's coming for you. <laughs> <laughs>
I yeah, I actually I hadn't considered including Android in the full stack description. I more considered like the you know the iOS front end and then um and then a back end using like you know one of the Swift frameworks. You're an um, Apple purist. That's true, but but yeah, I guess if you really wanted to kind of cover like I'm covering the whole mobile landscape, right? We're talking about the two major platforms, and then for front end, and then we're talking about you know building perhaps a a shared back end for for those things as well. Yeah, I see mobile as definitely being kind of like the future. More people have access to a phone than they do a computer, and if you're actually doing web development, typically you code for mobile first. And so that's uh, one of the reasons why I want to start kind of getting into that now is just kind of get ahead of the curve on that. So you've got now you've got some experience. You sounds like it sounds like you're in an environment that is just gr- amazing, right? For someone who is is eager to learn, um, there's a lot of opportunity for you to to advance and grow. Uh, so at the eight month mark, right, we're coming in on a year at, at this company, and assuming that you want to stick around for a while. Um, what have you what have you been thinking about um regarding what you'd maybe what you'd like to accomplish let's say in the next year or two um to advance maybe we could start with the conversation with that like what kind of what are your goals and then we can maybe talk about how to how to get there gotcha so one thing that's phenomenal is i get to sit down with my manager and we get to talk about okay what's my one three five-year goal and how can they help me also achieve that because they we both benefit from me progressing and so sure kind of sat down and my goal right now is just to uh, absorb Swift for like the next year and really focus in on iOS development so I can kind of concrete that in and then from there I'll kind of branch out into a little bit of a mobile uh, Android side of things and then maybe around five years I'm hoping to be a uh, team lead by that time so that's kind of like the roadmap of what I'm doing and then uh also got some stuff that I'm doing to try and get there and so one thing that I had mentioned earlier was that uh, soft skills that book um, the software developers life manual that's a pretty good read I'm not fully through that yet but one thing that they were talking about is like like moving up in the company or thing is how to really just kind of get noticed and start doing things taking ownership getting uh, more responsibility and helping work your way up that way and so that's a couple things that I've been doing as well and was this uh, was this plan formulated in concert with your manager, or did you come to her and say, "Here's what I want to do," and what what was the the back and forth there? So we kind of kicked 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 around a few ideas of uh, really what we were going to do to get there. Uh, I had a um, mobile challenge um, that I had to submit for actually getting the job. And so one thing that we talked about is maybe rewriting that challenge for new engineers that we're going to onboard. And then we'll kind of use that to kind of gauge my progress and see how I've gone and like moved forward. And then from there, we can kind of get a good estimate as like strengths and weaknesses and kind of find a good spot to go afterwards. And how often do you get to have those conversations and check in about how the plan is going? So I do um, biweekly one-on-ones with my manager. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's really great. You hang on to this job chain. It sounds, yes, it with sounds both hands. Great. <laughs> yeah, I just had uh, a one-on-one a, a few days ago. Um, this and it was I, I said the same thing. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm here to stay. Like, like, yeah, it's 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 so great. It's it was a huge relief because in the beginning I just felt like it was just such a stressful job and honestly thought maybe this just wasn't worth it just because you it, it seemed like there was no life. No uh, social work balance, that it just wasn't there. And they're really great about just making sure that people get appropriate time off and just have that um, reduced stress environment. 
Is it remote or is it a job that you go into the office for? So I actually get to work remote Mondays and Fridays are our default remote days. And then I go in the remaining days of the week. Nice. That's a good mix. Yeah. Yeah. I think we encourage people, especially early on, it seems like for reasons that I don't really understand, it seems like the in-person contact and communication um, helps. Yeah, it really does. Um, whenever you need to grab somebody for like having questions about the backend service or something like that, it's, it's great to just be able to walk over and be like, hey, got a quick question for you, something like that. I've always felt perfectly comfortable. I mean, always for as long as the technology has existed, uh, I felt perfectly comfortable just working through Slack and anytime I need to have a conversation or uh, a quick question, that seems like a really nice low friction way to, to get things done and communicate what you have to. It seems like a lot of people really value just being in the same room and working stuff out. I mean, I don't know why I haven't run into the kind of problems where that would provide a benefit, but a lot of people see a lot of benefit there. <clears throat> yeah, it's been it's been super great, especially when they they've really tried to filter out uh, a good culture, and so like only hiring people that they really feel like they can get along with and that are gonna support that that um that culture, and so that really helps make it a great. I, I love going into the office. I, I prefer going into the office, and I usually skip my remote days just because. Wow, it, it, it's fun just to be able to go in and just get to talk with everybody and get to work together. That's fantastic. Listen up, every other company. This is how you should be running yes. your company. You should be you should be running it in a way where even if you offer remote days, your employees want to come in anyway. Ben is emailing a resume right now because he wants. <laughs> they were recognized in Charlotte as one of the best places to work for 2018, which was sounds like it. Yeah, it's just obvious to see really from when whenever you just start describing it to other people. Yeah, they're being recognized right on here. Uh, Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. So uh, you know, take that to the bank. <laughs> available where all fine podcasts right. are sold. Um, <laughs> so uh, you talked a little bit about, um, uh, you know, doing more to kind of immerse yourself more in Swift and become more of an expert in the language so that you can be a resource for yourself and for others um, on the job. Uh, I think the idea of going back and looking at something that you wrote eight months ago and writing it and looking at it and going, wow, this is, I could you know, do this that is not the best. <laughs> I could do, <laughs> yeah, which, which that's not to dig on chain. That's, that's what everyone should really be doing when they look at code that they wrote a, a while ago is that, boy, I could do better than that. And that's a good thing, right? That means that you're advancing, you're making progress. Um, if you can recognize the faults of your own previous work, that means your, your taste level and your knowledge is, is, in, is increasing. Um, so beyond uh, those kind of immediate things you can do in your job, um, you did mention things about like going to meetups and speaking at them and stuff like that. Um, could you give some advice on like where, how you've done that so far? How did you get into that? Right, I've, I've had a lot of people come and talk to me. I, in addition to being sort of an educator, I also run the meetup in Orlando for iOS. And so I have a lot of people coming and asking me questions and saying things like, you know, I'm pretty new to this. I don't know. I, I don't feel like I could get up and give a talk. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm talking about. So how did you kind of get over that and um, and decide that it was a good idea? And kind of what strategies did you employ to, to be successful at that? Well, I first got into doing meetup talks because you threw me into a core data meetup talk at the Iron Yard. <laughs> <laughs> I did. That sounds like me. <laughs> yep. And so, um, but no, I, I'm really grateful for that because it's a great way to network, meet new people. And that's how a lot of developers actually get that job is when you have a 
kind of a face behind that name. It's not just a resume. It's, oh, I know this person. They go to that meetup. They're, they're, really, they're really great to be around and can really have a good conversation with them. And I feel like they'd be a good fit for this role. Actually, kind of the way I got the job at Passport was through a lot of that networking and everything. But then also the um, manager that I had for my other team worked for a company that I used to do a lot of talks at and presenting and stuff. And so they had actually asked me for a resume before a job listing as an iOS developer even went live just nice. because I presented over there a bunch. And so they're like, okay, cool. That didn't end up working out. They ended up withdrawing that position. But then one of their former um, managers is at Passport now. And he heard about that, or I guess, and was just kind of like, hey, like, let me get a resume. And so it's a really powerful tool, being able to network, talk with people, present um, it's not it's not all too difficult you know at first you're it's really kind of a nervous thing because you don't know everything and it's gonna be very apparent when you're on the stage that you don't know everything when people are asking those hard questions that you just don't know and it, it really creates a opportunity to grow especially because one thing that uh, that's very true is if you want to learn something teach it because nothing is going to reaffirm something in you other than teaching it. So I actually started doing a mentorship for some iOS developers in Charlotte, had a couple of people that I worked closely with and just gave, gave free tutoring just because it was helping me out. I'm actually looking at now potentially teaching at a um, boot camp. Um, oh just yeah. Kind of, just kind of on the side. Yep. Um, playing around with that idea. Not sure if I want to do that yet. I kind of want to take some more time to really just absorb everything and just breathe for a little bit. Kind of, now that I've been going so at such a quick pace for the past year and a half. Yeah, I mean, you deserve a break, Shane. <laughs> Maybe just have like a full-time job and a normal outside life, like a full a normal full schedule might be, you know, a good break. That's great though. That I think all of what you just said is perfect advice for anyone who is just getting into tech, getting into development maybe specifically, go, you know, enroll in a boot camp, just finish the boot camp. It doesn't really matter kind of where you are. It's never too it's it's never too early really to, to kind of jump into the community that you have in your local area um, and try to see if you can make some connections because look what happened to you 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 spoke at a meetup at a, at a you know at an office that company tried to hire you it just didn't work out for whatever reason but then somebody who worked there who doesn't even work there anymore then remembered you and was able to kind of make that connection and get you in at a whole different place so the the kinds of exposure that you're going to get when you give a talk like that. It's just, unfortunately, it's it doesn't you know one two three job. It doesn't it doesn't lead directly from one to the other. But those connections are are really valuable, and and you just never know when when someone's going to come along. Hey, three months ago I saw you at this thing. I don't work there anymore, but I work over here now. We and have we're an hiring. opportunity, yeah. right? Just yeah, and we're hiring. You just never know how, when it's going to happen. I'd like to hear a little more of the story of you. You get to Charlotte, and here's this new town. You you get into the meetup culture, and then you give a talk. And how? What were the steps in that process? Like, what what was? How did you find the meetup? What was the talk? How did it go over? <clears throat> so the meetup was for an iOS developer meetup, and I kind of just got into Charlotte after I left the Orlando boot camp and knew that meetups are a great way for networking. And so I worked closely with the Iron Yard campus in Charlotte, uh, just kind of getting introduced for a couple of different people, ultimately make some pretty good connections. And so the first talk that I actually gave was, um, I cannot remember off the top of my head. There's been a, uh, quite a few at this point, but I was How always- How many do you think you've given? Um, almost a dozen at this point. Wow. wow. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, that's awesome. I really like. I really like it. It's it's fun because it may not be the healthiest thing, but whenever <laughs> I want to learn something, I kind of was like suggest to a meetup that I'll give a talk on this, and then it yep. gives me that incentive to go and learn it. Then yeah, yes, that yep. is a secret sauce that not many people know about. Good for you for finding that one. I think I. I think I saw someone recently tweet about like the conference culture, right? Going and speaking at a conference, which is kind of just like a meetup on steroids, right? Instead of in front of 20 people, you're in front of potentially hundreds of people giving a talk. Um, and, and several people were commenting about like, yeah, when I want to learn a new piece of tech, I just, I just write a little, a little proposal for a conference and I submit it. And if, and if it gets approved, it's like, well, I gotta learn now. I gotta, (laughs) now I'm stuck. I have to learn this new technology. Yeah. It's funny. Most of the meetups usually get about 10 or so people that come here in Charlotte for the Swift one. And I had reason to learn Rx, um, reactive programming, with Swift for what I was doing at work. And so I was like, hey, I reached out to one of the developers that I um, work closely with. Him and I, we both kind of bounced back and forth on giving talks and such at the Swift meetup. And so I was like, hey, I'm interested in giving a talk on Rx Swift. And it was then that about 25 people RSVP themselves. <laughs> well, yeah. now, but 25 RSVPs can end up meaning 10 actually showing up. So how many That's how true. many butts in seats were you confronted with? Um, I think we actually had probably 25 people show Ooh. up. And so, um, so there were probably 75 RSVPs, but I mean the 25 yeah, probably, people, that's yeah. a big, good crowd. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely had to know what I was talking about at that point and um, really spent a lot of time understanding RX and just trying to better myself at that. That is a real mind-warping technology. I've been grappling with that in in my job for the past year. Yeah, it's a fun thing to play around with. It's really cool because it's not just specific to a certain language. It's the concepts you can go all around. So when I was first learning it, we had an Android developer who helped me kind of piece together and then write it in Swift. He kind of like pseudocoded it, and then I was like, okay, and I was able to translate it into um, Swift and what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. What's the range of experience levels among the people who show up to the meetup? Is there like a standard crowd who shows up every time or does it rotate depending on topic or what? So we have one or two people that are pretty senior that consistently come. And then the rest is usually juniors who are rotating out. Um, They'll show up for uh, any talk that they're particularly interested in hearing. And then afterwards, they'll hang around for a little bit. And most people use it just trying to find a job. They don't keep it and maintain those relationships and keep on going. Mm. I'm not saying you have to mm-hmm. go to every single meetup, but you definitely it, it definitely doesn't hurt to do that. Um, just do one or two here and there. Just maintain those relationships. Keep that keep that appearance in. And that that really helps in the long game. And that's really what helped me. That is smart, and because you you don't really you don't really know when an opportunity you know maybe you don't need a job right this minute, but you just never really know when when it's time to move. Um, and if you like you said, if you've been nurturing those relationships the whole time, it's just that much easier for you to jump back in and say, "Oh, it turns out I I am looking for a job now." Uh, so you know what what do you have? Yeah, and that's that's been actually um, the case for one position I was offered actually that I didn't um, didn't take. There was an individual that I met in the React Native meetup, and we were just kind of talking there for a bit. He ended up getting a um, position as the lead mobile delivery manager for Belk, and just kind of like through meetups and everything and all that, we had actually ended up talking, and he had asked me to come work for him, but that was ultimately when I was still at Ahold, and I really didn't want to leave just because I really enjoyed the culture there a lot. You know, it was a corporate office, but still they had a really good mix for... Um, kind of they they try to keep it feeling like a startup which was really cool 
Um, and so that's really the main thing that I value in a company is just who I'm working with in that culture. Uh, just because like it's that's what makes or breaks having a good job, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. The, the technology is sort of something that occupies your mind, but you, you need people to really to have something that's not just a completely sterile intellectual exercise. All right. So one thing I'm actually interested in hearing from you two is kind of how you went from that junior to the more mid-level role um, in both of your careers. Well, for me, uh, I sort of skipped a step, I guess. Um, I didn't learn in any kind of formal environment. None of these technologies that I work with now uh, existed when I was going through college. Uh, boot camps hadn't started up yet, so I was completely self-taught. And as a result, uh, there really wasn't a way of saying what level of expertise had I gained on my own. Yeah, how do you how do you gauge yourself in in uh, isolation, right? Yeah, if you have nothing to compare yourself against. You're like, I guess I'm an expert. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know the the technologies I started with were Ruby on Rails, and the the big selling point of that was the idea that you can be full stack and you can build the whole site and service yourself. And if you're able to do that, who's to say whether you're a beginner or mid-level or, or a senior person? So early on, I'd go on the big online marketplaces, you know, the, the guru.com and Nodesk and that kind of stuff. And people would just say, I want work done. And I'd say, I think I can do that and try to find what work I could. And um, just did that for a while. I really, I was only freelance. Um, almost exclusively on my own, a couple teams towards the end where I was just a, a contractor joining in and um, never had a, a title of any sort. I was never called, you're a junior developer or you're a, you're a senior developer or anything um, until uh, the Iron Yard was looking for senior people to teach. And I had been a teacher besides being a developer. So I said, yeah, I think I can do that. And they looked at what I could do and took me on. And then once I'd been there for a few years, going back out into the market, I felt a lot more comfortable saying, well, I've been a peer now of several dozen senior developers. And we had some very accomplished people at the company, you know, people who uh, worked with the Node project and made uh, pull requests to like deep internals of Rails itself and, and that kind of thing. And so I was very comfortable saying, well, yeah, now I'm a senior developer. And so that was the the first time that I got a job that said senior developer, I just kind of applied for it. I'd never had any sort of title one way or the other before that. Gotcha. And yeah, a lot of people do have different definitions as to what a junior, mid, and senior can do. And it's not something that there's a standardized <clears throat> um, rule or, or way. Yeah, there's there's no paper somewhere that says like this is what a junior is and this is what a, a mid developer is. It's it's very kind of an amorphous thing, which I think especially people coming from other industries are sometimes confused by. Like a lot of especially because we use the word engineer which oftentimes is a fraud. in our title. Yeah. Which in other kinds of engineering, typically there's like certifications and state tests and all kinds of things that kind of officially sort of anoint you as like, you are now allowed to do this thing. And, and for us, it's just like, yeah, I read a book and now I'm an expert, right? Yeah. Like, we're more it, over, it's... we're not in like the civil engineer, electrical engineer. We're more kind of in the sanitation engineer. Just like a, it's a word <laughs> that's part of the job, but it's... it doesn't really carry the same weight necessarily. Same legal. Yeah. 
So it sounds like really for you, Brian, like fake it till you make it, right? It's kind of your was kind your of, sort of kind of general approach there, and I think that's a perfectly valid way of going about it, right? I mean, what what basically what we're talking about here, Shane, is is you have to provide kind of social proof, right? This idea, social proof in the startup world is is where you prove your business model by trying it out by like getting get convincing some people to say i like your product or your service enough that i'm willing to either pay you money or engage with your company in an official way and become your customer and then you use that small pool of people to, to tell others mostly investors you we are promising and, and you should give us money to help us expand and i think the same kind of general idea is true here where you just have to convince enough people that you know enough about something to kind of gain that status and that authority within the community. And in Brian's case, he just sort of clawed his way up by, by like taking on sort of increasingly more difficult freelance projects and then creating a reputation that I, you give me work, I get it done. Right. And and that's what kind of proves to everyone else that you know what you're doing. And it was, it was always scary to me when I would apply for stuff. If, if someone said, I want an expert, I wouldn't apply for those things because no one had anointed me as an expert. If people said, I want this kind of thing built, then I'd say, oh, well, I can build that kind of thing. Sure. I just I don't have the word expert or master or senior or anything. It's funny how that like how you could think that. And I don't mean you specifically. I just mean like how the human brain works where you're, where you're like, well, I can do the work of a senior, but I'm not. A, I'm not. A senior well, because I didn't That's know maybe there's other stuff that goes into being a senior. Yeah. Do you have to right. be right. a lead or do you have to be what? Like Shane was saying earlier about architecture. I, I don't know about architecture. I just put files <laughs> into different folders and stuff. So I don't know. I just... Was it rake build or whatever it is? Did she just run the Ruby commands and things just happen? Well, yeah, that's the other thing is I get architecture just springing up out of the box for me. What was so Shane? If you oh, go ahead, oh, go ahead. Um, Ben, you you haven't divulged your path from from that's true novice to uh, so I'll, I'll do that and I guess I'll, I'll ask my question for Shane when I'm done. So for me, um, I went to school for computer science. Um, and then, and while I was doing that, I was also a software, um, I was a support tech at a company doing, um, technical support for Linux systems and various things. Um, and so I kind of had like this, this school career where I was learning how to program. And then I had this professional career where I was helping people with their problems and it wasn't really programming per se, but I learned how to do like shell scripting and things that are sort of, uh, programming adjacent at least, um, and so then I springboarded myself into a position doing Java and .NET development. Um, and so that was kind of my first foray into really doing, you know, real coding, as it were. I mean, I would consider shell scripting real coding. It's teaching a computer to do something important. So, you know, regardless, but, but depending on your definition, you may or may not consider that to be real programming. So my first kind of real bite at it was... Um, was uh, that, and then I also briefly worked for Northrop Grumman doing Java development for them as well. So I had a couple of opportunities to learn the basics of like, like you were saying earlier, Shane, like being on a team and and not just building something my own for, you know, I submit for homework, but like, oh, I have to coordinate with other people and I have to, you know, learn more about this larger system and maybe I'm not even going to work on the whole thing. I'm only going to be in charge of a part of it. Um, so there's all those, uh, those dynamics that you have to learn. Um, and then really for me, I think what, what truly springboarded me into kind of uh, getting me on the road to being a senior was um, I did some some .NET compact framework development, which no one probably on this, that list is even listening will probably even know what that is. But, um, but it the, sounds at, at the, terrible. <laughs> it's, and it was. Um, I'm, I'm so, sorry, Microsoft uh, people. I'm sure you're all nice. And, 
it. Oh, yeah. Wait. Well, by the time, and this is you know, 2008, 2009, right? Um, the iPhone had just come out. Uh, I, uh, it was a year after it came out that they announced they were even going to have an SDK for it. So for the first year, it was just like, this is awesome, but nobody can make anything for it, so whatever. Um, they wanted you to build web apps as the solution, which was not a great solution. But, but anyway, um, so at the time when I was working at the company, they wanted mobile apps. They wanted apps for their, for their employees to use. Um, and at the time, really the only choice that existed was maybe Android, but it was also really, really young. Um, and then the kind of the mature one was this, these little windows PDA things. They were, they were, they were low quality they were they were heavy they had terrible you know specs the software the hardware specs were terrible they were slow um but that was what we had so i learned how to do that and then that's really what sparked my desire for mobile development um and so then when the iphone and ipod touch and ipad became available as a thing we could code for um then i kind of basically as as a like an official way to springboard myself i i went to the ceo of the company and i said we're building these things on these little crappy PDAs that cost like a thousand dollars because they're they're enterprise, so therefore HP can can charge more for it, right? So uh, we're, we're these little PDAs that everyone hates. Um, we could instead switch to building for the iPod Touch and the and the iPhone. The devices are much cheaper. The software stack is much richer. We can make much much better applications. Caveat. I don't know how to do that. So <laughs> yet, I, yet I I will be happy to learn. I've always kind of wanted to learn anyway. Um, but I I do want to warn you. I, I currently don't. So so it would be a little bit of investment if if you want to do that. That's great. I will. T- I'm totally on board. But you kind of got to give me a little bit of time to figure this out. And so he agreed. And so like the, a little bit later, I'm in my office. He brings an iMac and an iPod Touch in the boxes and puts them on my desk and says, "Go." <laughs> And so I unbox everything and, and I start working on it. And then I have to learn a bit of C and the uh, iOS SDK. And, and this is 2009. So there's no RayWendelick.com. There's no shelf full of books at the bookstore about how to do this stuff. Um, there is basically some Mac programming tutorials because that's, you know, that's been around for a very long time. So there's that. And then there's like the basic pretty not great documentation that apple provides on their website for at the time for for the ios sdk so i would say that my beginning of going to you know being a mid was right there where i kind of had this inflection point where i basically changed my career trajectory by becoming a mobile developer and by somehow convincing people (laughs) that i could kind of same thing right sort of fake it till you make it like i don't know this but i'm confident that i can learn it if you give me the chance to take on this responsibility, I will not disappoint. And and I don't think that I did. I think I did a pretty good job. And that's what eventually led me to moving on to various companies and, and doing more and more iOS development until eventually somebody said, hey, you seem to know a lot. Do you want to teach this stuff? And I was like, uh, sure. I, you know, I've, I hadn't, unlike Brian, had not been a teacher before. Um, so He's it just ended natural. up being great. Yeah, and I, I'm just like really sort of, not to do my own horn, but I'm pretty good at it just for whatever reason. Um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, I think really for me looking back on it, that's my inflection point from you're just kind of giving me work. I guess maybe that's one of the things is like, you're just sort of giving me things to do. Right. And I'm just agreeing to them. And then I saw a point where I could, um, 
advance my own, you know, my interest, my career, my knowledge and skill, there was an opportunity to advance all those things all at once. Um, but it wasn't going to just be handed to me. I, I had to kind of go specifically ask for that and get per, you know permission to take on that responsibility. And then, of course, when they said yes, I then had to actually <laughs> learn those things and, and, and become that authority. Um, so I, I think that's probably... That's not the only way, but it's one way that you could that you could do it is sort of take it, you know, the bull by the horns and and look for something like that and then actively go for it. And I think that an interesting common thread for both of us, for Rails, for me and iOS development for Ben is that uh, how do you get to the top of the tree? You sit on an acorn and wait. <laughs> All right. Because it was just a very early stage technology. There were no expert senior people in either of those things when we got started because they hadn't been around long enough. Uh, you know, the, the people who actually wrote the languages were experts. And other than that, it was people who were pretty new. And you get in very early on something, then it's going to be very tough for other people to get more experience than you if you stick with it and, and work for a while. My strategy for becoming that mid-level is kind of closely related to Ben's, I would say. And in a sense to where like you saw something that you wanted to go do and you kind of became the sole person that did that by the sound of it. You had like the iMac and the iPod Touch sit down on you. Um, so I'd mentioned earlier that I work with a lot of legacy projects here at the um, here at Passport. One thing that I actually picked up in the software or the soft soft skills software developer life manual book that I was reading is they were talking about how to kind of like climb that uh, corporate ladder, and kind of like the steps to do that was doing that is getting noticed and kind of like taking initiative. And so one thing that I realized what was a really easy way to do that is a lot of people don't like working with the older code bases, and they don't want to do that and so my thing is I was willing to do that and so I kind of like do the majority of the work on a lot of our older apps that we still need to maintain that nobody else wants to do and so therefore I'm kind of like the go-to person for that and I'm kind of using that to kind of go forward and kind of just get recognized in that area so I can start moving forward uh, a good bit. Yeah being the go-to person is always is always good because it it you, it kind of forces the company to recognize that, like, oh, this person exists. They're 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 an important and integral part to this process. Um, if you have kind of that niche that you can slot into and say, oh, do you have questions about the legacy apps? Oh, Shane is your guy. Like that's who you need to go talk to. And if everyone knows that, then then the next time that things come around for you know new advancement and stuff, they're gonna be like, man, Shane's really just that this this thing he's just got it locked down. Um, maybe there's something that comes along that's similar. You know that that's in a uh, an addition to that thing. And they're like, well, let's give it to Shane because he's already the one in charge of it anyway. And it's probably not a bad shorthand description of what management does is that's the people to whom everybody else turns to ask questions. And so if you become the sole owner of something, even if you don't have people reporting to you, if you get placed in other people's minds as somebody to whom we turn to ask questions, then you're headed in that direction. I think that's a solid, that's a solid plan is, you know, and I, I like your two pronged approach of like, I want to be noticed at work, right? I want to, I want people to know who I am and, and know that I, um, I, I do quality work and that I can be relied upon to, you know, even be in charge of kind of wrangling these, these legacy apps and keeping them up to date and keeping them maintained. But then you're also doing essentially the same thing in your community. So you're going to meetups and you, and you don't, you like your job. You don't really have any desire to, to go anywhere else you know, for, for a decently long time. And yet you are, which means you really don't have any obligation, right. To go to these other events and network, but you're doing it anyway, because for one thing, it's good for you training wise. It's good for the community, um, keeps those relationships up. So 
basically be noticed and and be reliable i think those two those two pieces of advice are probably the best things that we could offer to you or to anyone who's listening about i got that first job i've been there for a few months i feel comfortable but i feel like maybe i need to make some moves to try and add some momentum to my career you know be be reliable and and be noticed right find a niche that you can slot into that that you can be that go-to person whether that be in your job and the thing is you know you've you've we've all had jobs that maybe there aren't that many opportunities to do that so then maybe you augment that by you you go more hardcore into being noticed and being reliable in your community if you don't have a lot of opportunity to do it in your job do it more in the community and then you get somebody who is a former employee of the place you spoke at and then they're offering you a job right it's just it 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 there's really no downside I think the one thing I would add to uh, to what Shane is already doing, which, by the way, A plus, Shane, for everything yeah, that you're doing. Job. Holy cow. What a. Was he always this smart? Because I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't. Pretty much. I didn't teach him anything. So I. Wow. This is great. Everything we want people to do. Yeah. He was always very tenacious. All right. Even even on day one, when we're signing the first homework, and he's like, the lecture's over. Two seconds later, he's at my desk. Nice. Okay. How do I do this? Yeah. Thing yeah. Now, right. Uh, yeah. So the I think the one additional thing is to um, to get feedback from more senior people in your company, which it sounds like you're you're doing through the biweekly meetings, but um, getting some kind of verbal commitment from them about how can I ensure that the stuff I'm doing is going to take me where I want to go, uh, which does a couple things. Number one, it gives you information about what do they think is going to get you there. But I think equally importantly, um, people have a strong psychological bias towards being consistent. And so if the words have come out of their mouth that, hey, Shane, if you do X, Y, Z, then in two years, you're going to be a team lead, then they have become the kind of person who believes that when you do X, Y, and Z, they need to make you a team lead. And I think people can talk themselves into that kind of stuff. And so you want to get them kind of on record um, as, as knowing that there's a plan and knowing that there are definite things that will lead you to your desired outcomes. And it also it also um, gives you the ability to to gauge, right? Like you're asking them for give me your rubric, right? Yep. What is the rubric that you're going to use to judge me by? And then as long as you remember and or write that down, as you go along, you're like, okay, boom, 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 I'm hitting these things. If the two years goes by or whatever that time frame is and they don't do it and you come to them and say, okay, I, I think I've accomplished what you wanted me to accomplish to get to the next level. And here's the proof of that, right? Um, and here, and, and I, this is what you said I needed to do. If they don't do it, then, then you, if nothing else, you have that in your head to go, okay, well, they're not keeping their word. Um, and it gives you a lot, uh, a lot higher ground to stand on when you either are negotiating with them over this or you find a new job and then you quit. And then, and then they say, what's, what happened? Why are you leaving? I'm like, well, I, <laughs> I, I follow all these steps. I tried to do what you want me to do and you just didn't do it. And I'm, that's not a, that's not at all a judgment of the company you work for. I'm just saying like as a general piece of advice, keeping track of what the company expects of you and then using it against them. Right. And, and, and I don't mean like in an evil way. I just mean like in, in a, where it's a negotiation. So in the in negotiation, you have that ammunition to say, I, you told me this is what I should do. This is, this is the proof that I've done it. 
give, I think I deserve the thing that you told me I could have, right? And and if not, it, it just gives them a lot less room to wiggle. Right. And that's one thing that I love about Passport as well is they, they do have that roadmap. As they're like, okay, so here here's the five here's the five qualities that we're looking for uh, to like get up there. They're like uh, architecture, code, professionalism, communication, and uh, there was one other I cannot remember it off the top of my head, but it's kind of like okay, so here softball um, in a lot of places it's softball. <laughs> here here it would be ping pong probably. Okay, <clears throat> so um, it really just kind of has that roadmap of here's what we're looking for in these roles. And it's that's kind of unique to uh, Passport from what I've seen. I haven't been at other places or heard of other places that really do this. I might be, uh, probably just don't know about them, but uh, they kind of just say like, okay. I heard, my employer doesn't do that. Does your employer yeah, do it that? Is, it is, it's more rare than you think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they're, they're kind of like, okay, so here's the one, two, three, four, and five, what we call those levels. Here's how, to, how you can get there. Here's And then uh, I just, a week ago, actually had my performance review for six months and we talked about my strengths and weaknesses, which was phenomenal because it really gave me the tools that I needed to see where I was lacking and where they, they saw me as lacking. And so I can really focus in on those areas, bring those weaknesses up, and then also uh, reinforce my strengths to get, kind of get where I'm trying to go. Yeah, that, those tools are invaluable. Mo- I, I, would, I would bet that most companies do not do that. So the fact that they do that is great, that they're very open and, and clear with everyone about, you know, these are the milestones that you need to hit everyone right we're not this is not special knowledge they're giving to one person this is this is kind of our our global roadmap for everyone and and how you can achieve those new things that's that's awesome yeah and not only that they're um, providing you with the tools for success but you're grabbing them with both hands and setting to work that everything is sounds just perfectly set up for you to really thrive and flourish and i couldn't be happier for you so for anybody else listening, if you are in the process of looking for a job, these are the kinds, obviously this is not going to be necessarily even the majority of them, but these are the kinds of things that you want to look for. And to ask um, about. And don't be, yeah, and don't be afraid to ask about these things, right? When Whether you, Shane, if you're for your next job, whenever that comes around, or anybody else who's looking for one, um, don't be afraid to ask these kinds of questions. What kind of grading system do you have for your employees? Do you have levels? Do you have, how do people achieve that? How often do you get reviewed? I mean, just ask all these questions because if nothing else, if they stand, if they just sit there and stare at you, then that's an that's answer. That, that's an answer, right? That's a way for you to go. Okay, maybe I don't want to work here. Um, but it. But I think if more of us, as the engineering, you know, group of of talent, were more proactive about asking those kinds of questions, more companies would be forced to deal with those things. Because I think so often, especially in the interview process, you feel so powerless that you're just like, uh, I'll just take it. I don't even care, right? I just need the job. It doesn't matter. Um, but you have more power than you think. And I think if us as a group were more proactive about asking those kinds of questions, I just saw on Twitter today, in fact, uh, I forget which company it is, but it's a, a fintech startup that is currently in the news, in the social social news anyway, for being basically really terrible to their employees and the CEO sending out Slack messages saying, basically, if you're not working on the weekends, then we're going to fire you. We're not going to pay you to work on the weekends, but we want you to work on the weekends anyway. And it's just like this is the kind of toxic culture that that leads to engineers burning out. And and it sounds like the company you work for, Shane, is exactly the opposite, right? They're doing all the right things to to encourage and to uh, to mentor their people, um, and that's that's more of what should be happening, kind of across the board. <clears throat> yeah, it's phenomenal. It's, it is a startup, and so they do offer shares. And I'm just asking my managers how I can buy more of those shares, honestly. Just <laughs> I, just, I just love the trajectory and just seeing where this company is going. And they're 
uh, doing some really big things. It's going to be pretty cool to kind of see this. That's really great that you're, you know, meeting you back in 2017 when you first started the course and, and you didn't know software development yet. And, and you were very eager, but you, you just didn't have the knowledge that you needed yet to, to get there, seeing from there to here and how, how much you've grown and, and how smartly it sounds like you're kind of navigating your career is really awesome. Yeah, one one thing I would like to point out for my juniors is like um, one thing I've heard you guys talk about on the podcast before is just really how it takes time to absorb these things. Um, that's not something you can force overnight. I mean, how many times did you tell me at the Iron Yard, you know, take a break, go take a walk around the block or something like that? Just because right. you can't cram all these things in. It's just not going to happen. So really just nice, consistent, steady pace is really what I found to be the best thing for me. <clears throat> Yeah, maybe we can close up with some advice now that you've um, you've uh, almost two years out from the Iron Yard, and uh, so you're in a good position to look back. You still remember what it was like going through the the program. So for people who are thinking about starting that kind of thing or getting into the industry one way or the other, what do you wish you had known then that you know now? Um, so the first thing that comes to mind is working with recruiters. Um, working with recruiters is either a um, really awesome thing and that you get a lot of your benefit you benefit greatly from that or it's just not going to be a good time for me in my personal experience they were really just kind of like pushy um, and for like a lot of like juniors it was easy to feel kind of like bullied into like you know like taking this job or not doing that or like um, or whatever and that's one thing that I regretted is I think that I would work would have worked less with recruiters um, that's a personal opinion for me and then also just kind of um, some reading material that really helps um, kick off conversations, kind of like the design pattern, stuff like that, is it might not just be something that's specific to your uh, tech stack that you're working with, but you can also have that conversation and talk to people. Um, that was another really big thing that helped me out. So like sort of just exposing yourself to more things, even if you're not going to get too far into it, having that 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 basic knowledge lets you be more kind of conversant and uh, you can chat with more people and which, you know, kind of goes back to that whole making more connections, which is a good thing. Yeah. Connections has really been my biggest resource. I feel, uh, my best friend's dad is actually a senior iOS developer for a company in Charlotte. And so I was able to kind of leverage that in a bit and kind of, um, kind of get some pointers on like my career and everything. And then also, um, one thing for me is I always wanted to kind of like gauge where I'm at because when you're doing a lot on your own, you kind of don't know where you are. You know, like, am I like that junior? Am I like that mid? Or like, really, what can I start doing with this? And having other people around you that you can really rely on, you know, having seniors, having juniors, having mids, really just a, um, a good amount of everyone, really. You can really kind of feel where you're at and kind of uh, really grow yourself and just know where you could do, improve and everything like that. Yeah. Sounds like if you don't have that in your job, you could do that by going to a meetup. I'm, I'm again, I'm a meetup organizer, so I'm going to, I'm going to relentlessly shill for, <laughs> for attending local meetups, but that's a great way to do that. If you don't have a job yet and you're trying to, to just get that exposure, you can go, go to a meetup. Cause like you said, there'll probably be juniors, mid seniors, kind of a, a 
broad swath of different kinds of people there. Yeah, and I have met some people who go to meetups as well who use that for looking for talent. You know, if they have an opening for a job, they'll go there and be like, okay, so like, um, I need to hire a couple iOS developers. We're going to hop in this iOS developer meetup and just network with some people. And that's actually a way I've gotten a couple people just uh, matches on LinkedIn, stuff like that, and just made a few connections for potential careers in the future or um, job positions. Hey, tell us a little bit about what you do at the meetup, because I just realized we've said over and over, hey, go to meetups. But in practice, that could mean I'm going to find a room and then go into the room. And now I don't know what to do. I'm here. I went to the meetup. But what do you do next? Um, start talking to people. I, I really will just kind of introduce myself, try and uh, meet a couple different people, ask them about what they do, and then strike up a conversation. And then from there, you can really kind of find some people that you can be like, okay, like I can see this potentially being something. Or um, or really just even if it isn't something that you like uh, a move that you want to make for your career in a sense that it's a potential job, it could just be someone else that could lead to something. So like there's always a good reason to start talking to people. Um, Terrific. And, yeah. There's definitely a big thing is, is just talk. Don't just, don't just show up for the free pizza. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you want, you want to, you want to get a, you want to get your name out there. And in particular, talk to the organizer. That's something else that I, again, mm -hmm. as an organizer, I'm going <laughs> to continuously shill, which is, which is the organizer is there to make those kinds of connections. And, and they're also the one that is potentially going to get the most um, inquiries about jobs and stuff because they'll, they'll people will go to the organizer and say, hey, I have a job. I don't really know exactly how to do this, but since you're the one in charge of the meetup, can I just give this information to you and then you can kind of do forward it on? So it, yeah. so get, get chummy with the organizer because then they will know who you are and then when they do get those kinds of things coming up, they'll be like, oh, Shane is cool. I like Shane. He, he's, he comes a lot. He helps me. Um, and and he, he volunteers for talks and stuff. So I'm, he's going to be the one that I'm going to recommend first. I did I did that intentionally, actually, because the company that hosts a lot of the meetups in Charlotte for the iOS developer is a com iOS developers meetup is a company that I actually wanted to work for. And so I use that as kind of like a way to get in there before that opening went live, because um, you never know when it would go live. So I was just like, okay, like hey, let, let's just let's just get in there. And so I started definitely talking to the um, the senior developer who was presenting up most of the meetups and everything. And from there, we ended up uh, we ended up just hitting things off. And I actually just uh, met up with him for lunch this past week, just maintaining that connection really. And so that's that's just great. It's just networking, talking with people. That's going to be like your biggest resource as a developer I've seen. Yeah, because getting a job, it's always better to go in through the side door than it is going through the front door because the front door is crowded with thousands and thousands of people who are trying to just shove their resume through and see what happens. But if you can get in, you know, somebody is opening the side door, hey, Shane, come this way. Like, you know, they can they can let you in that way. It's it's much easier. You'll, you'll be able to probably skip some steps and, and get in front of real people who can actually make a determination about whether they, right. you know, you're a good fit. And even at, like, the company now, um, because they, they value, like, that culture, cultural fit so much if you recommend somebody they're going to get that interview just because they, they they want that good atmosphere and so if you're like yeah um i recommend this person they might not have all the tech skills but they would good be a good cultural fit and they can learn those skills they'll still give you the interview and everything like that and not all companies do that but that's just kind of like goes to show just how like those connections can really make a difference that's great i shane i think is doing everything we'd want him to do right yeah yeah, I, I, I actually can't think of anything that really that 
we would add to your list that that you have missed like you're <laughs> you're firing on all cylinders here it sounds like you will be a mid you probably already are a mid you don't even know that but they probably already promoted you <laughs> work on monday you go in you're like ah oh, there's a banner up congratulations um yeah you're doing a great job awesome glad to hear well, i think we're about done yeah, yeah, I think that's another successful episode. And, of course, we have several other episodes already uh, in the can. So, Ben, if people would like to find out more about the show, where can they go? What can they do? So everything that you need to know about us is at mvc.fm. That's our website where you can uh, listen to past episodes. You can learn how to subscribe and also um, even listen right on the page. If you don't want to subscribe, you can even just listen right right there at anything from the past and get to our show notes so that would be links that we've talked about we're going to put all the books and stuff that shane talked about today links to those in the show notes if you want to check them out um we're also on twitter at mvc podcast and we'd love for some feedback there if you have ideas for new episodes or questions that you'd like answered please feel free to reach out to us there and finally if you're on itunes um, if you could give us a rating and review, just look up Model View Conversation. That would be very appreciated. And finally, finally, since Shane has made such a point about the value of communicating and building relationships, uh, Shane, if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with you, where can people go? Where can they find you? So I use primarily Twitter for um, kind of networking with people. And so my Twitter handle is actually going to be Shane SMN. And so if you want to get in touch with me, um, it's a great way to do it. And we'll put that in the show notes as well, so you can easily find that. Great. Okay, thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks, Shane, for being on. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.